0: As I mentioned in the announcement time, we are continuing our teaching series called It's Time for Church. We are spending eight weeks together just studying what corporate worship is, what it means, what we're supposed to do when we gather here. I think this is worth our time. I I wonder, though, if we were able to have a conversation each individually with each other right now, what all of our stories would look like or sound like. If I asked you, how did you start going to church? Why why are you here? At what point in your life did you start going to church and making that a priority? Why do you still go to church right now? I I think we would probably have a a pretty broad spectrum there of experiences and reasons as to why you are actually here right now. I mean, I... My story as far as going to church and making that a priority in my life, I I went to church when I was young because that's what my parents told me to do. My dad's actually in visiting today and is here in the worship service with us. We had a great time together. But uh, one of the reasons I named this series It's Time for Church is because that's something I heard him say every Sunday morning. Hey, get up. It's time for church. (laughs) All right, It's time to get up and go. It's, It's how I started to go. And So I got up. And I got dressed and I went to church because that's the way I was uh, raised. That's what I was supposed to do. And so uh, both my mom and my dad would prioritize church and they took me to church. And that's why I went to church. And so going to church has always been the normal thing for me to do in my life. I'm I'm comfortable going to church because that's how I was raised. And so really as a kid, that's all it takes to get used to going to church and to prioritize church. Someone just has to care about you enough to get you up in the morning and tell you to go and then take you to church. Or in, in our case, we lived across the street from the church, so I actually got up, got dressed, and just walked across the street. But I would not have done that had I not been told to do that. And so as a kid, going to church is easy if you've got someone to take you. As an adult, it gets a little more complicated than that. You're going to need a few more reasons than uh, it's time for church, so do it. That's not gonna cut it when you're an adult. You're gonna need a lot more answers to a lot more questions. Questions like this, why should I? Questions like this, what's the point of going to church? Questions like this, what would I even hope to accomplish if I were to attend church today? Questions like this, you're gonna need an answer to, you know, what can I do at church that I can't do privately on my own between God and I? If you don't have answers to all of those sort of questions, Church is never going to feel worth it to you. It's never going to be worth your time to get up, get out of bed, and get here. And so that's why we are doing this teaching series, so that we have answers to those really practical questions that, that question what we're doing here. So I'm, I'm intentionally examining the different components of this gathering, studying what the Bible says this is, because I am encouraging you, to scrutinize what we're doing right now. I want you to scrutinize it, I want you to examine it, I want you to question it, but I want you to do that with a Bible in your hands. And the reason we do that with a Bible in our hands is because what we find and what what, what I'm trying to show you throughout this eight week series is that everything we do in corporate worship when we gather as the body of Christ has been prescribed to us in the Bible. We do this because this is what God's Word teaches us to do. When we look into the Word of God, we see several commands regarding corporate worship, and we see several examples of what corporate worship is. And so as we study those commands and those examples, church starts to feel a little bit more worth it to us. And, and that's, that's the issue. That's really what I'm after. I want, it, I want this to feel worth your time. If something doesn't feel like it's worth your time, you're not going to prioritize it. If something's not worth your time, hey, we only got so much time. Time is valuable to us. I'm not just going to hand my time to anyone and anything. It's got to be worth it. I've got to have a reason to hand over my time because I'm busy, and so are you. We have lives we're trying to live here. So we've got to have a reason to show up and do church together as the body of Christ. And as we've studied the last two weeks in Hebrews 10, it gives us several reasons, right? Several really good reasons to gather. When we we come to corporate worship, this is the way, a way, and perhaps the primary way Christians draw near to God and confess our hope in Christ. That's a pretty good reason to get out of bed in the morning and come to church. If you're a believer in the gospel, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, you believe you're saved by the grace of God through his gospel, then that's important. Engaging with God and his people is really important to you. If you're a believer in the gospel, engaging with God and his people, that is worth rearranging your schedule for. So that we're given all of these reasons in the book of Hebrews, and chapter 10 specifically that we studied, but one of the reasons that we need this gathering so much has to do with the perseverance of our faith. I want to have faith tomorrow. I want to have faith a year from now. I want to have faith 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Well, a critical component to to persevering in your faith is routinely gathering with the people of God. That's what the Bible teaches. teaches. And the reason that's the way it works is because what this this gathering is designed to do, it's designed to stir you up to love and good works. We read that in Hebrews 10. It's designed to encourage you specifically in a way that would put your whole life in perspective and cause you to persevere in, in faith in the gospel. And so you come here because this, there's a strengthening effect that takes place with your faith. There's a, a life-sustaining effect or impact that this gathering has on your faith because others are investing in you in a very specific way, in a, in a gospel-centered way. And so you participate in that and the lives of those around you right now, too. Remember, we want to come and and prioritize this gathering because we want to, as a believer, make ourselves available to other Christians so that we can stir them up to love and good works. You're you're not going to stir up other Christians to love and good works in the way that, that you were meant to if you neglect this gathering. You're never going to encourage other believers in the way you were designed to as a child of God if you neglect this corporate gathering as the body of Christ. Those are really big, important reasons to come to church. So when you look into the Word of God, you think, okay, yeah, this is worth my time. This is important if I am the Christian that I say that I am. And so, again, this, this time together has a way to just prioritize our life or put our life into proper perspective and so we don't want to neglect this gathering because as the book of hebrews tells us uh, if we're neglecting this gathering we'll tend to um, drift away from god as opposed to drawing near to god so that's why this is important and so today we're focusing on really what is at the heartbeat of this entire series what I want us to, to look at and to think about today is how critical hearing the, God word, God's, hear, hearing the Word of God preached to you is to your faith. You, as a believer, as a Christian, a reason why you should value corporate worship is because you need the Word of God preached to you. Convenient, huh? Here I am, as a pastor, telling you that it's important that you come hear the Word of God preached to you. That's what I do, right? It is actually biblical. This isn't just what I think, and I'm going to show you that in the Word of God today. But we see that from the very beginning in in several different ways, uh, a, a lot of instruction regarding this. And so, for example, like, when, when the Apostle Paul, he would plan all these churches, he would do go on all these missionary journeys, and then he would write these epistles or these letters to those churches. One of the things he would say to these churches, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he would say to them, devote yourself, and I'm quoting him now, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. You need to commit to this. Devote yourself to it. You should place a high value on it. And again, this is the way it's been ever since Christianity has been around. 2,000 years ago, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the first Christians at Pentecost, what do they say? We don't don't need scripture anymore. We can do whatever we want. No, that's not what they said at all. It says specifically in Acts chapter 2 that at the point in which they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves, Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what they did. And so we... As we look into the Word of God, we want to do the same exact thing that the first Christians did in the sense that we, too, want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the apostle-approved curriculum. It is the only apostle-approved curriculum that exists. So doesn't it seem like today, whenever we evaluate Christianity, whenever we look at it in the world, doesn't it seem like there's a lot of different versions of Christianity? I, I think that's one of the most frustrating realities. You look around, so many different names, different names of different churches and denominations on the front, uh, on the sign out front of the church, and so many different gatherings. It seems like there are a lot of different versions of Christianity out there. So which one's the truth? How do I know? How do I discern? How do I? How do I sort through all of that? Well. Here's the reality. Biblical Christianity is the only real version of Christianity. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. I mean, just logically, when you think about that, this is the contents that has informed Christianity from the beginning. There's been a lot of other stuff going on in the, over, the, over the timeline. A lot of different things. A lot of, a lot of stuff happened, right? This is always the case when you look at the people of God. But this is what has informed Christianity from the beginning. And so whenever you, whenever you as a church or you as a, as a believer or a denomination begins to drift away from or downplay the message of the Bible, fundamentally it begins to turn into something that is very unchristian, right? And so if we want to be a part of real Christianity, it only makes sense to inform those beliefs with the same contents that has always informed Christianity. So we go to the Bible, we go to the content of Scripture to be informed so that our Christian faith can be informed by something. We believe it is the Word of God. And it's so frustrating when people who say they are Christians don't do that. It's so frustrating when a church who has a cross out front, doesn't inform those beliefs by the word of God. That has always informed Christianity. It's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. And when Christians or churches or denominations begin to do this, begin to, to, be, to inform their faith with something else or exchange the Bible with some other you know, cultural trend or whatever it may be, It's it's the most divisive thing they can possibly do. Those are where the divisions occur within the Christian faith uh, more than anything else. That's what causes more church hurt than anything else. When people begin to exchange this truth for something else and still like to wave the banner of Christianity and say, hey, we're Christians, that's frustrating. It, It was just recently that i was having a conversation with another christian who didn't attend our church and we had uh, a disagreement we disagreed on a moral issue and so they were i don't know if they were asking me my opinion on this issue in particular because they just wanted to tell me theirs or what (laughs) but uh, whenever uh, i was uh, thinking about the answer to this um, moral question that they're asking i'm like well okay how should I think about this? Well, let's see. What does the Word of God say about this? What does the Bible teach about this? Well, okay, well, the Bible explicitly says this here. And the, and, the, and then I, and you turn the pages, it explicitly says this here. And I begin to cross-reference and look into the Word of God and, and think through those things. And and so, yeah, this is my position. I, I already knew that was my position, but I just wanted to make sure. You ever you ever have that in, in your faith like? Like you believe something, but then you forget why you believe that. And so you need to go like fact check yourself and look at like, oh yeah, that's why I believe that. That's why I think that. Well, I, and I was doing a little bit of that. And so then they, they, they didn't like that answer. They didn't like that answer at all. And they said, well, yeah, okay, but it, I don't think it has to be that way. And so they went on to tell me the way that they thought it should be. <laughs> they, well, I think, I think this is the case, and, and I consider this over here, and then think about this situation, and, and that's why I think you're wrong, and you should adopt my perspective over here, because this, uh, the the series of experiences and conclusions that I've drawn based on how I think. And so in order for me to adopt their perspective, here was the expectation. The expectation was that I would set my Bible aside, close it, listen to their perspective, and, and just go with the way they think. That is frustrating, though, isn't it? I, you know, I, I was just, I was assuming, they said they were a Christian, that, that we could find common ground here in the Bible, that, that which has informed the Christian faith from the beginning. But they weren't willing to do that. I was just supposed to take their perspective and just accept that. So, I mean, this, this, this is the sort of thing that happens all of the time in churches and, and in denominations. We're, we're always saturated with everybody's perspective, right? We, we live our lives in this world and we're saturated with, with other people's perspective. And we get on social media and things like that. We always have to, you know, you, gotta, you better listen. You better listen up because you know, I got something to say. And we hear all these different perspectives and things like that. And, and we're just ex- expected to accept every single one of those perspectives. Well, when, whenever we come together as the church routinely, here's why this is so critical to go to the Word of God, it's God's turn to talk, right? It's God's turn to say something. You think like, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're talking with your family, everybody wants to get a word in and things like that, well, it's God's turn to talk. We gather here to hear from God. There is no higher court of authority for the Christian faith than the Bible. And so we gather here, not so much to even hear my opinion on things or my counsel on things. We gather here to to hear the word of God. And so when we gather for corporate worship, two things have to happen in order for us to have success in hearing God. Number one is I actually, I have to actually preach the word of God. That's number one. And number two, you actually have to hear the Word of God. You actually have to listen to it and understand it. So we're going we're to do that right now. We're going to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles with you, however you look at the Bible, whether it be you know the book in your hands or on your phone, I, I encourage you, turn to Nehemiah. Start finding it right now. We are in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we are going to see a very explicit example of this happening and I mean this, like learning and understanding the Word of God together and, and and I'm showing you this so that we can we can drive home the point this is why we do this. Here's an example of this. it's always been this way with the people of God and Nehemiah chapter 8 when you talk about a timeline, we're going way back. We're going like to the fifth century BC we're going, you know I, know, I know Christmas is around the corner, and we talk about the incarnation. you got to turn back the clock to the fifth century from that point. And, and what was happening at that point in Nehemiah is that the people of God were coming out of slavery again. They had been enslaved to the Babylonians and they were migrating back to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem after a time of, of slavery. They gotta build this back. Jerusalem was destroyed, it was leveled. Even the walls were leveled. So first thing first, first things first, when you get to, to Jerusalem as the people of God out of slavery, you gotta build back that wall. And so that's what you hear about a lot when you're reading the book of Nehemiah. They're building the wall because if you don't have a wall around your city, you're a sitting duck in that day and age. You had to have that wall. So they, they just, they, they get the wall built back. They got gates in the wall and things like that. Now they can, they can stop and really start rebuilding the city. And so Nehemiah and Ezra are the two main guys. matter of fact, the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, I believe they used to circulate as one book, um, or in the Jewish Bible, what you'll find them is they are one book. But think of Nehemiah as the governor. He's the governor who's making the decisions, leading this rebuild effort. Ezra's the priest. He's the guy who is preaching and teaching at that point in time. So they get the walls built back. What's the first thing you think they would do at this point? Start building homes or, or you know, the city hall or the temple or what are they going to do? Well, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to start teaching the people of God. Now that they're safe behind the wall, okay. Let's start teaching people Scripture. We need to start educating the people of God on the Word of God. And so here's how they did that. I'm just going to read eight verses of Nehemiah chapter eight, so we can watch this happening. And I want to draw out a couple of things after I do that. This is a, a, a paragraph entitled "Ezra Reads the Law," and I'm I, I got to say a lot of names here through this paragraph. So. Don't poke fun, or I'll make you come up here and read it in front of everybody, and I bet you won't think it's as funny. Okay, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Don't tell me I preach for a long time. In the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe took, uh, stood on a wooden platform they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maseah. and on his right hand and on his right hand, and, and Padiah, Michelle, Malkijah, and Hashem, Hashbadana, or something. Zachariah, Meshulam, on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Shereba, Jamin, Akub, Shabethiah, Hadiah, Messiah, Halida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Philiah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. I absolutely love that paragraph. It teaches us so many obvious things. I mean, preaching, hearing, understanding the word of God, that's always been the way of the people of God. We're doing something here that is a part of a rich, rich tradition of the people of God. We want to read a passage of scripture and we want to explain that passage of Scripture and when we do this this is what builds the people of God this is what makes them holy it sanctifies us it's it's how we behold the glory of God it's how we know him and it's how we know ourselves in relationship to him so so in order for corporate worship to have any sort of impact on your life right now in order for this to work that's how a lot of people like to phrase it. Well, the church didn't work for me, or it does work for me. Well, in order for this to work for you, this whole gathering has to be saturated in the Word of God. If this is meant to have an impact on... If this, if this corporate gathering has an impact on you in the way that it was meant to, it has to be saturated in the Word of God. The Bible needs read, out loud, and it needs taught. So did you see those ingredients in that paragraph? In verse 5, it says he opened the book inside of all the people. Kind of like this, right? That's why we do this. It says in in verse 3 there that he stood on a wooden platform that they made for that purpose. Well, that's not why they made this stage, (laughs) but it it certainly helps me do that, right? Tony did make my pulpit here uh, back when we launched the journey. I made this sucker from scratch. It says that he, he opened it and And all the people stood, just like when we start our service, the very first thing we do when we gather here, the beginning of the service is so important because it sets the tone for the rest of the service. We all stand, and we have a responsive reading. Joseph begins to read as our worship leader the the passage of Scripture up on the screen here, and then you read a section of that same passage of Scripture, and it goes back and forth. We stand and we read the Word of God. That's why we do that. It says there in verse 6 that after this took place in that time, the people said, amen, amen. This is, that was a word that affirms. This is true. I agree with this. I'm conforming to this. This is right and good. That is the healthiest ingredients you can possibly have in corporate worship. The reading of the Word of God, because God's Word never returns Void. But here's where I find this particular paragraph inspiring to me as a preacher. Did you notice how many times the word understand was in that paragraph? Maybe if you're one of those people that circles things in your Bible or highlights things as you read, count how many times or circle every time you see the word understand, or it's the Hebrew word for comprehend. Whenever we come to church and we read this, some people say, like, oh, man, if you do the same thing every week, can't it become this, the, like, monotonous? What if, what if, I'm afraid if I do that too often, it, it won't mean anything to me. Well, that, that, that excuse has, has never jived with me uh, because we see this happening in Scripture. Like, well, it, it can be a mindless ritual if you let it. That's, that's not up to me. That's up to you. You can come here and numb out and go through the motions and, and not attach any meaning to anything we do, and you can waltz in here and waltz right out, and you won't get anything out of this corporate worship. It will not work for you whatsoever. But it is not meant to be mindless. Whenever you look in Scripture, it was never mindless. The whole point of reading the Word of God out loud is for education, so that you would know it, so that you can hear it and be taught it. I mean, that's, that's important. That's important so that we can know the Word of God. It's important because the Word of God's hard to understand. I couldn't even pronounce all those names right. I'm just, like, shooting from the hip on some of those, like, trying to pronounce it right. And, you know, even the guy who pronounces it right probably isn't, right? Because if you went back in time and heard them say all those names, I bet you they would sound way different than my Western English accent could do at its best, right? But I've never met anyone who on their own just picked up the Bible one day, read through it all, and thought, oh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> like that, that, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Nobody reads the Bible once. I've even heard, I, 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 I really enjoy or get a kick out of when people say this, when, we, when, we, when you're having a theological conversation with someone, and they're like, well, I've read the Bible, and I think this. It's like, oh, my goodness, you read the Bible once. Wow, wow, Did you, you really got that down now? Like <laughs> people study this their entire lives, and there's always more to learn. You don't get to say stuff like that. that's such an arrogant posture to take I mean there's seminaries where people study this the rest of their life and there's always more to know. You think when when we're looking in this curriculum, you think of it like math or music, which is math based like when you when you get it, when you're a math major, it's just an endless field because numbers are infinite, right you just uh, you're studying math, and, and those when you, when you get your master's degree in math or you get your doctorate, your PhD in math, I mean, you just, you just go into a realm of math that uh, is endless. You just keep going and venturing further and further, like, into outer space. It never ends. Music is the same way. There's an infinite amount of music because, again, it's math-based. It just goes on forever and ever. You don't ever get to say, like, oh, I understand all music. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Well, the Bible is much the same way. This is the Word of God, meant to equip us for every good work and and every piece of understanding as we live our lives. And we don't ever graduate from this. Like there's always, there's an infinite amount of knowledge and understanding and wisdom here. And so we keep going back to the same well every week, week after week, hopefully day after day, Drinking from this well, understanding it more, and and if you want to gain something from that, you got to know it and you got to understand it. You're, have you seen that clip? Uh, it, it's it became a, a a viral video, and it shows this kid who looks like he's I don't know if he's at a Christian school or whatever, and he's got his Bible out open in front of him, sitting at a desk, and and he's he's doing this. He, he's like he's like looking off, in the, and he's just like. Like he's cupping water and pouring it on his head. (laughs) Like like that's going to help him absorb the contents of this. Like I wish it worked like that, honestly, that I could just be like, oh, okay, let me just jam that in here. And then I can understand it all. I wish that's how it worked. That sounds so much simpler, right? But that's not how it works, is it? That's not how it works. We have to actually read and comprehend this in order for it to have an impact on our life. You You have to read it and understand it. Reading it is one thing; understanding it is a whole other thing. But we believe this is Word of God, as, and, I, and I've been referencing Second Timothy 3:16 obviously um, uh, several times. I mean, this is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We go to this over and over and over, so we can know something, so that we can be equipped, so that we can be changed so that we can conform to the word of God, so that we can be restored by it, so that we can be sustained by this this truth that is here from God to us. Ezra understood this. He understood this. So after they build that wall, he's thinking, okay, we gotta build up the people of God. We're back, we're in Jerusalem, it's time to get busy. What are we gonna do? We need to start teaching people the word of God, educating them. If this Jerusalem is to be built back in a way that's going to honor God at all, it can't just be a wall. It has to be people who know God. And the way that we know God is through his word. And so it says there in, in Nehemiah 8:8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. Oh, man, that word, clearly. It's meant to be understood. I love that word, Clearly. Then after that, and gave the sense. Here's what this means. So that the people of God understood the reading. So, preaching and teaching, it's one of the main reasons we show up to corporate worship. It's one of the reasons we must show up. We need to hear the word read to us, and we need to hear the word preached and taught to us. This is absolutely central to church. So when we say it's time for church, you better hear a sermon that teaches you and reads to you the Word of God. But that's only half the battle, right? That's only half the battle. I got to actually preach the Word of God, but you got to actually hear it. There's where things really get difficult. I mean, it's hard enough to craft a sermon that actually educates people on the Word of God in a way that is comprehensive and engaging and captivating. That is, that is a feat of strength in and of itself. It's only by the grace of God that, that uh, you can do this in an effective way. But then, you have to actually show up and be listening for the Word of God. That's the other side of the coin, right? Did you notice there in that paragraph that we read there in verse 3, it says, "...the ears..." Of All the people were attentive to the book of the law They were listening for it. They were attentive to it. It wasn't about Ezra It was about the 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 book of the law. This is the word of God. They were hungry for it They came there and they gathered as one man It says so they could hear and understand the word of God. They were attentive to it They wanted to understand it again if you come here and you don't want to listen to it, you don't want to hear it, you don't want to understand it, you don't prioritize that mentally, psychologically, you don't engage with the word of God, church isn't going to work for you. It's not going to work. You're going to come here and you think, oh, I didn't get anything out of that today. You're going to come here and think, well, I don't know if that was worth my time. That, that's, that's how this relationship between pastor and congregation works, right? I got to do my part and you got to do your part this is us collectively engaging in the Word of God. You have to be looking for this truth from the time that we have the call to worship to the time in which we close in prayer, being attentive to the Word of God. You have to know it. You have to understand it. This is not a magic book. This isn't magic, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, this isn't magic in the sense that, like, we carry it around and it it wards off evil spirits if we hold it right and carry it and we, and we put it on our desk or in a prominent place in our house we'll keep it, evil spirits away. This isn't a magic book. That's not what this is. We don't, we don't, we don't like keep this on us in case we come into contact with a, a vampire or a witch so that we can burn them with it. It's not a magic book. It's information. It's not magic. It's information. And we're meant to be educated on it. And the only way this book will have any impact on your life is if you read it and you're taught it. It's not useful for anything else because it's not a magic book. If you don't read it and you're not taught it, it's useless. And so whenever you see the people of God in Nehemiah, we can keep going in Nehemiah, and you see the impact that the reading and teaching of the word of God has upon them, it, 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 a great place to keep going later in the day or in devotional time, keep reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, you'll see that the people of God having the word read to them and taught to them, they respond by feeling conviction. Oh man, we're sinful. We need to repent. That's why we need it. I need that and you need that. It, and because they they were growing, they begin to develop an increase increased awareness of their sin. They repented of their sin and because of that they experienced joy, it says in the next paragraph. You want to experience joy in the way that they experienced joy? The people of God experienced joy? You need to read and understand the word of God. You want to feel the the conviction of sin and, and have the repentance take place in your life that happens in the people of God in the Bible? Well then you need to read and you need to understand. You need to be taught this because it's In this contents that we learn about the forgiveness of God that's what they were learning about and we of course being further down on the timeline we have a more complete view of the forgiveness of God they were anticipating something ahead of them we praise God for something that took took place in our past we know the gospel of course we still have eternity ahead of us with God but that's why we need this and that's why it's central to corporate worship so we want to gather together with excellence when we worship god so we preach and teach the word of god now every one of these sermons I, I keep coming back to to a really practical point of advice i i i made a commitment every time i preach one of these sermons about corporate worship i want to get incredibly practical in light of this in light of knowing this in scripture here's what we should do and so i do have six tips making this time together in the Word of God more profitable. If you can think about these things, it will make your time during the sermon much more effective. You can listen to a sermon in a really bad way and it feel like a waste of time regardless of what's happening here. So I want to help all of us think about this. First of all, here's my first tip. You need to place a high value on the Word of God being read to you and taught to you. You need to place a high value high value on that. And here's what I mean by that. This is a time for you to engage with the Word of God. What what I don't want you to do, and this is the hardest frame of mind to get out of whenever you come to church, don't be a sermon critic. And I'm the pot calling the kettle black on that one. I'm a much worse sermon critic than any of you here, I promise. I'm terrible at it. It doesn't matter what church I go to or what pastor I'm listening to or how famous they are. I am the worst sermon critic. Sometimes I'm listening to a sermon and I am just thinking about it all wrong. I'm not looking for the word of God. I'm, I'm thinking about how good of a communicator that man is. I'm thinking about the points that he's making in the sense that is that a, is that a smart way to say that or is that, is that a healthy way to phrase that? I'm thinking about the sermon in a, in a captivating sense. Is it worthy of my time or not? Because uh, based on this level of engagement or, or, or how it captivates me, right? That is a bad frame of mind to have when you're listening to a sermon. The good frame of mind is to be with the Word of God in front of you, and looking for the Word of God, looking past the preacher, looking past what he's saying, and thinking about the contents that is informing what he's saying, right? That, that, here's, so so number two, my practical piece of point, uh, piece of advice, My second practical piece of of advice is this, listen to every sermon with the Bible open in front of you. That is something that you hear me say routinely, it sounds so old school, doesn't it? You should have your Bible when you go to church. That sounds so old school. But man, is it true. Because here's the thing, I'm not infallible. I don't have perfect doctrine, I don't have perfect theology, I don't know it all. I need the Word of God to correct and inform me just like you do. Sometimes I'm going to say things I shouldn't have said. (laughs) And you typically let me know, right? Sometimes I'm going to say something that's wrong. And sometimes you're going to think and understand and say things and do things that are wrong as a believer too. We are all sitting under the Word of God. And so when I'm preaching about the Word of God, the best thing that you can do is to fact check me with the Word of God. And if you're going to fact check me in a way that Christians fact check other Christians when they say things about God, you have to have that which has informed the Christian faith from the beginning. You got to have your Bible. That's how you fact check me. Fact check everything I say. Hold it up against the Word of God to see if it is true. No matter who you're listening to, you should always, always, always be willing to question what they have to say but do it with a Bible in your hand. That's how you do it responsibly. Number three is you need to actively engage in a sermon, and if you actively engage in a sermon, it is going to come alive for you, and you're going to be able to stay more attentive. Here's what I mean by actively engage. Take notes. Journal. Write down some questions that you have. If I say something that you didn't like, write it down. Think about it. Question it. If you, if, you have a, if you have a question about something in the text that I didn't cover or, or, or that you just don't know, write down that question. Think about ways that you can write things down or, or make notes in your phone or however it is that you do that. And engage with the sermon. Journal it. Highlight and underline. I am a highlighting and underlining addict. If you flip through my Bible... you'd think that it was a coloring book half the time because I'm just always, I'm writing notes in it, I'm circling things, I'm just, it's a way that I process information. It's a way that I engage uh, with information. It's also a memorization tactic that I use. But I'm engaging with the information that's in front of me. You can do that with every sermon, no matter who's talking, no matter how dry the sermon is. It's especially important if someone is presenting and and you you perceive them to be a dry preacher or, or somebody that's like not, oh man, I'm snoozing. Okay, then engage with the Bible. Where are they teaching from? How can I engage with it? How many times did that word show up in that paragraph? And why is that? What's it trying to communicate to me? You can have someone who is a really dry speaker and and still have a really profitable time at church if you're willing to engage in the text. Number four, this one's really important too, especially if you're coming to church with your family. Listen to the to the sermon with the intent of putting what the Bible says into practice in your life. And, and number five goes along with it. Listen for the good of others that come with you. So if you're looking for this information, this this is in here for a reason. This is meant to change me. This is meant to change the way that I think. And and I'm bringing my family here, so I want this to have that impact on them too. Then you need to be listening to a sermon and listening to the the word of God that's in that sermon in a way that would would allow you to engage with your family after the the, the service. So one of my all-time favorite things to do after I preach a sermon, just to kind of gauge the level of comprehension that took place here today. You got to realize when you, when you, when you get up to preach a sermon, you have, a, you know, eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds, and I'm trying to preach a, a 30 to 40-minute sermon in a way that engages eight-year-olds to 80-year-olds, and so that's, that's a, that's a, like, a, you got a shotgun approach there, right? <laughs> like, how, how can I do this? So one of my favorite things to do on the way home is, is ask Reese, my youngest, hey, what are you? What stuck out to you about the, the passage of scripture that we studied today as a church? And so it's funny, the things that Reese will, and I've always done this with, with all of my kids um, from the time they were young. What did you get out of that? What, you, what do you even remember from it? And it's really taught me a lot about preaching, but it's also taught me a lot about being a dad who's trying to take my family to church in a meaningful way. That has opened the can of worms so many times in my household, what did you What did you learn at church today? What did you think about? What was the passage of scripture that you were presented? What was it in the sermon that caught your ear, and why? And that has led to all sorts of fruitful discussions in my household. Please, please use the sermon like that. It will make this so much more worth your while. I, I'm I'm doing I'm doing the homework for you all week so that I can present to you this information so you can so you got something so that you can go engage your family with it, you can engage people in your life with it, you can think about this, you can ask your spouse about it, and, and you can have that conversation, continue it when you're away from here. So listen for the good of others. It's not just about you being captivated. How can I take something and use it in my life and in my family? And number six, this is, this is the most important one. This is, the, this is, this is it. If you don't walk away with anything else, walk away from, from this service with this. Think about this time hearing the word of God. Think about this as an act of worship. Being attentive to the word of God, utilizing a sermon, utilizing preaching and teaching, that is worship. It is worship. It is a way that the people of God has, have always worshiped. They gather collectively to be given something that they can use. And they want to be attentive. They want to learn. They they want to, to gain that knowledge so that they can be the people of God and they can worship God in their lives with this information. Listening to the Word of God in and of itself is an act of praise, and it will elevate how you feel about corporate worship. This is a useful time. This is so worth your time because you come here to gain something you can utilize in your life as a believer and make much of God. This is why this time together has this, again, this life-sustaining effect upon our faith, the strengthening effect, because we're better equipped when we're here, having been here, because we we read the Word of God and we learned something. That is at the heartbeat of every single thing we do, every single piece of symbolism, every note we play, every song we sing, a responsive reading, all of that stuff. It's all meant to inform and educate the people of God so that we can know something. And knowing something about God is worship. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is, again, just to have a group of believers who are committed to your word. It's so often the case that in church today we have become about so many other things, so many other movements. We we make the mistake as your people of listening to every other perspective but yours. And when we do that, Lord, we drift away from you. When we do that, Lord, we, if we come to church and enjoy it, but it, it lacks your word, we know something's off. Lord, this is a time that we gather together to be informed so that we can worship you and know you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word so that we can do that. Now, Lord, again, I thank you for a body of believers that are committed to this. And, and Lord, as we gather here, may we come here with the, intent, with the intent of being attentive to your word, may we gather here with the intent of better understanding your word, and Lord, we're going to do these things so that we can be your people. We want to we be uh, identifiable. We want to be set apart. We want to be holy. And Lord, we're able to do that because of the word that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for these things, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray.